Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Course in Miracles daily reading conference call. We read from the text of A Course in Miracles original edition, which is published, I think we have one unmuted line, published by our dear friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net, or if you mouse over the link at top for online edition, you'll see the link to read A Course in Miracles OE. Um, also on that page, you'll see a tab called Lesson Sign Up, and that gives you the opportunity to sign up to receive a daily email from the Course in Miracles Society that contains both the daily text reading and the lesson for the day. My name is Lori Cameron. This call is Monday through Friday from about 9.15 to about 11 a.m. Eastern. And today we continue our reading of Healing as Release from Fear in Chapter 2. And while your email probably has us beginning today on Paragraph 61, um, we thought it would be most excellent if we back up to Paragraph 59 to begin today reading through Paragraph 71. Oh, we're also mindful of our lesson today, Lesson 19. I am not alone in experiencing the effects of my thoughts. And uh, since Fran is still recovering, if anyone would like to give some consideration to leading our lesson reflection at the top of the hour, it would be most appreciated. Um, okay, by way of opening this morning, um, I was guided to this from Jeff Brown. I'm not alone in experiencing the effects of my thoughts. Uh, this absolute thought correction seemed most perfect. It's not about someone winning our heart. It's about restoring its aliveness. It's about softening its armor. It's about filling it with light. When real love enters, it doesn't take anything from us. It gives us with everything. I'm not alone. I am not alone. Amen. Okie doke. Well, here's our reading list this morning. We have hey, Patricia. Thank you. I wanted, thank you. <laughs> I wanted to say thank you for that. <laughs> oh, thank you, Robin Marie. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it, too. I love the light part of the armor. It's beautiful. Yeah. That's such a huh? Thank you. Okay, my friends. Thank you. Thank you. Here is our reading list this morning. We'll start off with Patricia, then Diana, Donna, Lemoyne, Harrison, Robin Marie, and Karen. And we're joined in listening this morning by Ida. And has anyone else come along? Uh, I don't see anyone new on the board. So with that, I thought um, as we continue Section 3, Healing is Released from Fear, it would be most wonderful to back up and include paragraph 59 
and read from there through 71. So paragraph 59. The value of the atonement does not lie in the manner in which it is expressed. In fact, if it is truly used, it will inevitably be expressed in whatever way is most helpful to the receiver, not the giver. This means that a miracle, to attain its full efficacy, must be expressed in a language which the recipient can understand without fear. It does not follow by any means that this is the highest level of communication of which he is capable. It does mean, however, that it is the highest level of communication of which he is capable now. The whole aim of the miracle is to raise the level of communication, not to impose regression in the improper sense upon it. I'm glad we're going to read that twice, the second maybe without distraction. So, Patricia. Uh, Patricia, do you have paragraph 59? Oh, yes, sorry. I was on mute. So is okay, it 59 and, and yes. 60 or both? Yeah, or 59, one? yes, please. 59 and 60. Yep. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> right. 59. The value of atonement does not lie in the manner in which it is expressed. In fact, if it is truly used, it will inevitably be expressed in whatever way is most helpful to the receiver, not the giver. This means that a miracle to attain its full efficacy must be expressed in a language which the recipient can understand without fear. It does not follow by any means that this is the highest level of communication of which he is capable, it does mean, however, that it is the highest, the highest level of communication of which he is capable now. The whole aim of the miracle is to raise the level of a communication, not to impose regression in the improper sense upon it. 60. Before miracle workers are ready 
to undertake their function in this world. It is essential that they fully understand the fear of release. The fear of release. Otherwise, they may unwittingly foster the belief that release is imprisonment, a belief that is very prevalent. This misperception arose from the underlying misbelief that harm can be limited to the body. This was because of the much greater fear that the mind can hurt itself. Neither error is really meaningful because the miscreations of the mind do not really exist. This recognition is far better protective device than any form of level confusion because it introduces correction at the level of the error. Thank you. Thank you, Patricia. And Diana, you'd like to do then 60 and 61. Thank you. 60. Before miracle workers are ready to undertake their function in this world, it is essential that they fully understand the fear of release. Otherwise, they may unwittingly foster and believe that release is imprisonment, a belief that is very prevalent. This misperception arose from the underlying misbelief that harm can be limited to the body. This was because of a much greater fear that the mind can hurt itself. Neither error is really meaningful because the miscreations of the mind do not really exist. This recognition is far better protective advice than any other form of level confusion because it introduces correction at the level of error. 61. It is essential to remember that only the mind can create. Implicit in this is the corollary that correction belongs at the thought level. To repeat an earlier statement and to extend it somewhat, the soul is already perfect and therefore does not require correction. The body does literally the body does not literally uh, the body does not really exist except as a learning device for the mind. This learning device is not subject to errors of its own because it was created but is not creating. It should be obvious then that correcting the 
creator or inducing it to give up its miscreations is the only application of creative ability which is truly meaningful. Thank you. Thank you, Diana. And Donna. 61. It is essential to remember that the only that only the mind can create. Implicit in this is the corollary that correction belongs at the thought level. To repeat an earlier statement and to extend it somewhat, the soul is already perfect. Therefore, does not require correction. The body does not really exist except as a learning device for the mind. The learning device is not subject to errors of its own because it was created but is not creating. It should be obvious then that correcting the creator or inducing it to give up its miscreations is the only application of creative ability which is truly meaningful. 62. Magic is essentially mindless or the miscreative use of the mind. Physical medications are forms of spells. Those who are afraid to use the mind to heal should not attempt to do so. The very fact that they are afraid has made them vulnerable to miscreation. They are therefore likely to misunderstand any healing they might induce, and because egocentricity and fear usually occur together, may be unable to accept the real source of the healing. Under these conditions, it is safer for them to rely temporarily on physical healing devices because they cannot misperceive them as their own creations. As long as their sense of vulnerability persists, they should be preserved preserved from even attempting miracles. Yes. Thank you, Donna. And Lemoyne. Magic is essentially essential magic is essentially mindless or the miscreative use of the mind. Physical medications are forms of quote unquote spells. Those who are afraid to use the mind to heal should not attempt to do so. The very fact that they are afraid has made them vulnerable to miscreation. They are therefore likely to misunderstand any healing they might induce. And because egocentricity and fear usually occur together, may be unable to accept the real source of the healing. Under these conditions, it is safer for them to rely temporarily on physical healing devices because they cannot misperceive them as their own creation. 
As long as their sense of vulnerability persists, they should be preserved from even attempting miracles. 63. We have already said that the miracle is an expression of miracle-mindedness. Miracle-mindedness merely means right-mindedness in the sense that we are now using it. The right-minded neither exalt nor depreciate the mind of the miracle worker or the miracle receiver. However, as a creative act, the miracle need not await the right-mindedness of the receiver. In fact, its purpose is to restore him to his right mind. It is essential, however, that the miracle worker be in his right mind or he will be unable to reestablish right-mindedness in someone else. Thank you, Lemoyne. And Harrison. 63. We have already said that the miracle is an expression of miracle mindedness. Miracle mindedness merely means right mindedness in the sense that we are now using it. The right-minded neither exhort nor depreciate the mind of the miracle worker or the miracle receiver. However, as a creative act, the miracle need not await the right-mindedness of the receiver. In fact, its purpose is to restore him to his right mind. It is essential, however, that the miracle worker be in his right mind or he will be unable to reestablish right-mindedness in someone else. Excuse me. 64. The healer who relies on his own readiness is endangering his understanding. He is perfectly safe as long as he is completely unconcerned about his readiness but maintains a consistent trust in mind. If your miracle-working propensities are not functioning properly, it is always because fear has intruded on your right-mindedness and has literally upset it or turned it upside down. All forms of right, not right-mindedness are the result of a refusal to accept the atonement for yourself. If the miracle worker does accept it, 
he places himself in a position to recognize that those who need to be healed are simply those who have not realized that right-mindedness is healing. Thank you, Harrison. And Robin Marie. Sixty-four. <clears throat> the healer who relies on his own readiness is endangering his understanding. He is perfectly safe as long as he is completely unconcerned about his readiness, but maintains a, a consistent trust in mine. If your miracle-working propensities are not functioning properly, it is always because fear has intruded on your right-mindedness and has literally upset it or turned it upside down. All forms of not-right-mindedness are the result of refusal to accept the atonement for yourself. If the miracle worker does accept it, he places himself in a position to recognize that those who need to be healed are simply those who have not realized that right-mindedness is healing. 65. The sole responsibility of the miracle worker is to accept the atonement for himself. This means that he recognizes that mind is the only creative level and that its errors are healed by the atonement. Once he accepts this, his mind can only heal. By denying his mind any destructive potential and reinstating its purely constructive powers, he has placed himself in a position where he can undo the level confusion of others. The message he then gives to others is the truth that their minds are similarly constructive and that their miscreations cannot hurt them. By affirming this, the miracle worker, worker releases the mind from over-evaluating its own learning device, the body, and restores the mind to its true position as the learner. Thank you, Robin Marie and Karen. 65. The sole responsibility of the miracle worker is to accept the atonement for himself. This means that he recognizes that mind is the only creative level and that its errors are healed by the atonement. Once he accepts this, his mind can only heal. By denying his mind any destructive potential and reinstating its purely constructive powers, he has placed himself in a position where he can undo the level confusion of others. The message he then gives to others is the truth 
that their minds are similarly constructive and that their miscreations cannot hurt them. By affirming this, the miracle worker releases the mind from over-evaluating its own learning device, the body, and restores the mind to its true position as the learner. 66. It should be emphasized again that the body does not learn any more than it creates. As a learning device, it merely follows the learner. But if it is falsely endowed with self-initiative, it becomes a serious obstruction to the very learning it should facilitate. Only the mind is capable of illumination. The soul is already illuminated, and the body in itself is too dense. The mind, however, can bring its illumination to the body by recognizing that density is the opposite of intelligence and therefore unamenable to independent learning. It is, however, easily brought into alignment with the mind which has learned to look beyond density toward light. Thank you, Karen. And would there be a new reader for 66 and 67? Morning, Charles here. Well, thank you, Charles. All right. 66. It should be emphasized, again, that the body does not learn any more than it creates. As a learning device, it merely follows the learner. But if it falsely, but if it is falsely endowed with self-initiative, it becomes a serious obstruction to the very learning it should facilitate. Only the mind is capable of illumination. The soul is already illuminated, and the body itself is too dense. The mind, however, can bring its illumination to the body by recognizing that density is the opposite of intelligence and therefore unamenable to independent learning. It is, however, easily brought to into alignment with a mind which has learned to look beyond the density toward light. 67. Corrective learning always begins with the awakening of the spiritual eye and the turning away from the belief in physical sight. The reason this is so often entails fear is because man is afraid of what his spiritual eye will see. We said before that the spiritual eye cannot see air and is capable of only looking beyond it to the defense of atonement. There is no doubt that the spiritual eye does produce extreme discomfort by what it sees. Yet what man forgets is that the discomfort is not the final outcome 
of its perception. When the spiritual eye is permitted to look upon the defilement of the altar, it also looks immediately toward the atonement. Amen. Thank you, Charles. And is there another new reader uh, for 67 and 68? Good morning, Lori. Jude, I can jo- I've joined you. I can do Great. it. Thanks, Jude. Welcome. 67. Corrective learning always begins with the awakening of the spiritual eye and the turning away from the belief in physical sight. The reason this so often entails fear is because man is afraid of what his spiritual eye will see. We said before that the spiritual eye cannot see ear and is capable only of looking beyond it to the defense of atonement. There is no doubt that the spiritual eye does produce extreme discomfort by what it sees, yet what a man forgets is that the discomfort is not the final outcome of its perception. When the spiritual eye is permitted to look upon the defilement of the altar, it also looks immediately to the, or toward the atonement. Nothing that spiritual eye perceives can induce fear. Everything that results from accurate spiritual awareness is merely channelized towards correction. Discomfort is aroused only to bring the need for correction forcibly into awareness. What the physical eye sees is not corrective, nor can it be corrected by any device which can be seen physically. As long as a man believes in what his physical sight tells him, all his corrective behavior will be misdirected. The real vision is obscured because man cannot endure to see his own defiled altar. But since the altar has been defiled, his state becomes doubly dangerous unless it is perceived. Thank you, Judy. And is there another new reader for 68 and 69? Okay, back to you, uh, Patricia. 68. Nothing the spiritual eye perceives can induce fear. Nothing. Everything that results from accurate spiritual awareness is merely channelized toward correction. Discomfort is aroused 
only to bring the need for correction forcibly into awareness. What the physical eye sees is not corrective, nor can it be corrected by any device which can be seen physically. As long as a man believes in what his physical sight tells him, all his corrective behavior will be misdirected. The real vision is obstructed because man cannot endure to see his own defiled altar. But since the altar has been defiled, his state becomes doubly dangerous unless it is perceived. 69. The fear of healing arises in the end from an unwillingness to accept the unequivocal fact that healing is necessary. Man is not willing to look on what he has done to himself. Healing is an ability lent to man after the separation and before which it was completely unnecessary. Like all aspects of the faith-time belief, Healing ability is temporary. However, as long as time persists, healing is needed as a means for human protection. This is because healing rests on charity. And charity is a way of perceiving the perfection of another. Charity is a way of perceiving the perfection of another, even if he cannot perceive it himself. Thank you. Thank you, Patricia and Diana. Number 69. The fear of healing arises in the end from an unwillingness to accept the unequivocal fact that healing is necessary. Man is not willing to look on what he has done to himself. 
Healing is an ability lent to man after the separation, before which it was completely unnecessary. Like all aspects of space-time belief, healing ability is temporary. However, as long as time persists, healing is needed as a means for human protection. This is because healing rests on charity, and charity is a way of perceiving the perfection of another, even if he cannot perceive it himself. Number 70. Most of the loftier concepts of which man is capable now are time-dependent. Charity is really a weaker reflection of a much more powerful love encompassment, which is far beyond any form of charity that man can conceive of as yet. Charity is essentially is essential to right-mindedness in the limited sense in which right-mindedness can now be attained. Charity is a way of looking at another as if he had already gone far beyond his actual accomplishments in time. Since his own thinking is faulty, he cannot see the atonement for himself or he would have no need for charity. The charity which is accorded him is both an acknowledgement that he is weak and a recognition that he could be stronger. Thank you. Thank you, Diana. And Donna. Oh, I'm sorry if I was on mute there. Um, thank you, Diana. And Donna. Am I on mute? No. Um, Donna, I wonder if you're on mute. Yeah. Okay, we'll come back to Donna. Uh, Lemoyne, are you able to do 70 and 71? Yes. Thank you. Okay. Most of the loftier concepts of which man is capable now are time-dependent. Charity is really a weaker reflection of a much more powerful love encompassment, which is far beyond any form of charity that man can conceive of as yet. Charity is essential to right-mindedness in the limited sense in which right-mindedness can now be attained. Charity is a way of looking at another as if he had already gone far beyond his actual accomplishments in time. Since his own thinking is faulty, he cannot see the atonement for himself, for he would have no need for charity. 
The charity which is accorded him is both an acknowledgement that he is weak and a recognition that he could be stronger. The way in which both of these perceptions are stated clearly implies their dependence on time, making it quite apparent that charity lies within the human limitation, though toward its higher level. We have said before that only revelation transcends time. The miracle as an expression of true human charity can only shorten time at most. It must be understood, however, that when a man offers a miracle to another, he is shortening the suffering of both. This introduces a correction into the whole record which corrects retroactively as well as progressively. Thank you, Lemoyne. And uh, Donna, are you able to read 71? If you're not on mute. Okay, Harrison, 71, oh. please. Oh, there's Donna. <laughs> Somehow I muted myself some way I didn't understand. Um, okay. 71. The way in which both of these perceptions are stated clearly implies their dependence on time, making it quite apparent that charity lies within the human limitations, though toward its higher levels. We said before that only revelation transcends time. The miracle, as an expression of true human charity, can only shorten time at most. It must be understood, however, that whenever a man offers a miracle to another, he is shortening the suffering of both. This introduces a correction into the whole record which corrects retroactively as well as progressively. Thank you, Donna. And thank you, everyone, who read this morning. Um, very long reading, very rich. And um, I think to summarize it just purely with paragraph 64 and 65, the healer who relies on his own readiness is endangering his understanding. He is perfectly safe as long as he is completely unconcerned about his readiness but maintains a consistent trust in mine. If your miracle working propensities are not functioning properly, it is always because fear has intruded on your right-mindedness and has literally upset it or turned it upside down. All forms of not right-mindedness are the result of refusal to accept the atonement for yourself. If the miracle worker does accept it, he places himself in a position to recognize that those who need to be healed are simply those who have not realized that right-mindedness is healing. 
Thus the sole responsibility of the miracle worker is to accept the atonement for himself. This means that he recognizes that mind is the only creative level and that its errors are healed by the atonement. Once he accepts this, his mind can only heal. By denying his mind any destructive potential and reinstating its purely constructive powers, he has placed himself in a position where he can undo the level of confusion of others. The message he then gives to others is the truth that their minds are similarly constructive and that their miscreations cannot hurt them. By affirming this, the miracle worker releases the mind from over-evaluating its own learning device, the body, and restores the mind to its true position as the learner. Amen. And before we began the reading, I asked if anyone would consider reading our lesson reflection at the top of the hour, which we've passed by just a little bit. Uh, so has anyone given some thought to that this morning? Uh, to lead our reflection as we stop and pause on Lesson 19. Volunteer for Lesson 19. I can do it, Lori. Thank you, Lemoyne. <laughs> okay. All right. Lesson 19. I am not alone in experiencing the effects of my thoughts. The idea for today is obviously the reason why your seeing does not affect you alone. You will notice that at times the ideas related to thinking precede those related to perceiving, while at other times the order is reversed. The reason is that the order does not actually matter. Thinking and its results are really simultaneous, for cause and effect are never separate. Today we are again emphasizing the fact that minds are joined. This is rarely a wholly welcome idea at first, since it seems to carry with it an enormous sense of responsibility and may even be regarded as an invasion of privacy. Yet it is a fact that there are no private thoughts. Despite your initial resistance to this idea, you will yet understand that it must be true if salvation is possible at all. And salvation must be possible because it is the will of God.
the requirement of as much indiscriminateness as possible in selecting subjects for the practice period should be quite familiar to you by now and will no longer be repeated each day, although it will occasionally be included as a reminder. <coughs> Do not forget, however, that random selection of subjects for all practice periods remains essential throughout. Lack of order in this connection will ultimately make the recognition of lack of order in miracles meaningful to you. So, nineteen is I am not alone in experiencing the effects of my thoughts. One more short paragraph from Lesson 54 in the review. I am alone in nothing. Everything I think or say or do touches all the universe. A son of God cannot think or speak or act in vain. He cannot be alone in anything. It is therefore in my power to change every mind along with mine, for mine is the power of God. I am not alone in experiencing the effects of my thoughts. Lesson 19, I am not alone in experiencing the effects of my thoughts. Amen. Thank you, Lemoyne. Thank you, Lamar. Thank you. Hi, this is Ida. Great reading, you guys. Um, I talking about the lesson that was just read. Um, thank you, Lemoyne. Um, makes me kind of wonder, uh, since I'm not alone in experiencing the effects of my thoughts, uh, why don't I feel that oneness with everybody more often? You know, what occurred to me was that Maybe I'm feeling it all the time, and 
I just don't realize it, or maybe because sometimes it seems like quote other people's thoughts unquote go through my head and um like and I've gotten more imaginative recently, so it could be other people's idea pictures, creative ideas and stuff like that. It seems like they're from other people. Well, I'm not sure, but I shouldn't be sure since we're all one, right? It's a sign of spiritual progress if I'm not sure whether they're from other people or from me since we're really one. And separateness is just an illusion, right? So, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> Those are some of the some of my thoughts and musings on, you know, on that topic. Thanks for hearing me. I'm completely. Thank you, Ida. Thank you, Ida. Patricia here, and uh, Ida inspired me to ask a question to all of us. Uh, what if we thought about this lesson uh, this way? I am not alone in experiencing the frequency, the frequency of my thoughts. It changes so much for me when I shift it that way. I thought I'd open that inquiry for the lesson throughout the day. Experiencing the color, the aroma, the frequency that I am receiving. The second thing that comes to me as I ask that, and I sincerely am am really excited about learning more about that way of deepening this lesson for me and maybe all of us. Because cause for me, when I am in cause, I am in complete love of everything. Because I'm in source, and and the mind is completely empty, and it's in awe of being empty in all the chaos. It's simply in awe of being the cause, the 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 center of the hurricane, the eye of the needle, the stillness of motion. So I am eternal in that. And then there is the lesson 19 where I experience 
a particular frequency, a particular color, a piece of the puzzle of eternity. In which place do I turn my attention? We remember I'm so blessed to know, you know, people still know of a radio where you change a channel. The channel, the way I channel the frequency of my thoughts. I am not alone experiencing my thoughts. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Patricia. Patricia. Thank you, Patricia. Yeah. Thank you. I have Patricia. one more thing to say. Oh, sorry. Yes. I have one more thing to say about the about the um, what I said a few minutes ago, which is that I just want to say and make sure it's it's plain that I believe realize that Jesus is helping me uh, with that process of the oneness and. You know, if if I'm not perceiving him helping me, I'm sure that's just because I'm not perceiving it because of my not being spiritually advanced enough to perceive it all the time. But I know he's helping me now because I believe that he's always helping me. Even if I didn't ask in my mind, I asked in my soul. That's why I'm doing this. That's why I've been doing this course on and off for over 30 years, you know. So he knows. He knows, and the other spiritual masters, I believe, also helped me, too. Thanks. Sorry to interrupt. I'm complete. No, that mm. deserves an exclamation point, Ida. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ida. You are Thanks, the inspiration. Ida. Thank you, Ida. Mm. <laughs> I love that, Ida. Thank you. This is Donna. And uh, when, she, when Ida was speaking, this is what I heard. We live and move and have our being in God. And the other thing that, that I got great joy from was this morning when uh, you were reading, Lori, and your little dog came in and had quite a little conversation. And um, I don't know about atonement, but I certainly did get a miracle because it made me so happy. I am complete. <laughs> oh, that's just sweet, Donna. Thank you. That's 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 actually um, just really, really um, wonderful that you said that. Um, there, there's a couple of things that I wanted to touch on, uh, just in case, just in case it's obscure, but. Um, Ida, you said it when you said the word alone, and you did too, Patricia. The key phrase for me in this whole lesson is the Son of God is alone in nothing. The Son of God is alone in nothing. And when I accept atonement for myself, <laughs> I am allowing my mind to recognize the truth. Okay, there's only truth or illusion, and of these two, only truth is true. 
right-minded seeing is seeing from my right mind or my mind that knows the truth. That's why uh, the only responsibility of the healer is to accept atonement for himself. If I understand that only perception can be an error, that is to say what I see, the only error ever is what I see. I'm either going to see truth or illusion. If I'm seeing from the truth of me or my right mind, that's what he means when he talks about cause and effect. My right mind, my truth, the truth of everything will perceive only truth. So perception is an effect. What I see is an effect. So let's say um, all I can see is a sick brother who's doing that seeing, but an illusion about myself, my wrong mind, uh, my mind that doesn't understand the nature of truth, which is the atonement. The atonement is the correction of my mind and gives me access to my right mind. My right mind are the thoughts I think with God, the truth. I'm a, I am not alone in truth. That's the point of accepting the atonement for myself. Accepting the atonement for myself means that I accept the truth of everything God created. You and you and you and you and and the world I see. Because God cannot create unlike himself. And when my mind has access to the truth, it has access to knowing that the truth of me is the truth of you. There's only truth <laughs> or illusion. And of the two, only truth is true. You see? So if I'm seen with my right mind, which is cause, I will perceive truth. If I'm seen with my wrong mind, which is the only, the only place where error can happen is in my seeing. If I'm seen with my wrong mind, I'll be seen with the eyes of judgment, beliefs, ego opinions, um, everything that ego sees about me. In one case, if I'm seen with my right mind, I'll be perceiving truth. I'll be perceiving it because it's being projected from my mind by Holy Spirit. I don't do that. I accept atonement for myself, and Holy Spirit now has access to broadcast truth from my mind. You know, we, a few weeks ago we covered in the Manual for Teacher the question how are healing and atonement related? Healing and atonement are not only related, he said, healing and atonement are identical. When my mind is healed, I've accepted atonement for myself, I will no longer see in a split way. I won't have double vision. I won't have uh, judgments that say truth is this, but no, truth is that. You see, truth as I see it will represent whether or not I have conflict in my mind. 
if I have conflict in my mind, that means I need to return to the atonement and take a shower. <laughs> you know, I need to remember the truth. The only level of correction, he says, is at the level of the mind because it's from the mind that I'll either see truth or I'll see error. So when my mind is corrected, what is the atonement, he says? The atonement is correction. Correction of the idea that I could ever be separate from God, that I could ever be alone, that I ever had to rely on my own judgments to navigate my way through the world, that I ever had to decide for myself what's true or false. All of that is corrected when I accept atonement for myself. That will provide me with spiritual sight. In other words, the Holy Spirit in my mind will see the truth of me and will see the truth of everything else. There's another place in the Manual for Teachers that's, that's really helpful um, to me. And I need to say what it is, but I need to um, pause a moment to find it. So I'm, I'm going to stop right here and come back to that uh, after a bit. Uh, I'm complete. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. Wow, that was wonderful. Thank you, Lori. Thank you Thank so you. much. This is Charles here. Maybe someone can help me with a question, if I may. Somewhere I read it in the course, and I don't know where I read it. It's only one line, but that one line changed a lot of my thinking. Was mind is an activator of that which is. Spirit is, and mind is the activator of that which is. If anybody can help me with a reference to that. I thought it was in the Manual of Teachers, but I looked for it, but I couldn't find it. So, Because it cleared up a lot of things, knowing that mind is an activator of that which is. It creates vibration. That which is is still in absolute stillness. Then as soon as we give attention to the stillness, it activates it and creates a vibration and creates movement, and creates expression. For the function of the mind is to give expression to that which is. That's totally changed my understanding as I, as I started reading, what is the mind? And I realized the mind is that which activates that which is. And when the mind is in error, the mind is uh, seeing something that isn't there. But the mind's function is to activate that which is, and now it's activating something that is not there. Then it gives me an idea of how the mind is in illusion. So I just thank you for that sharing. It just came to mind. I thought I'd share it. Thank you. Thank you, Charles. Well, thank you, Charles. <clears throat> thank you, I don't Charles. know that I can find... 
find the word activator, but I do find the word expression um, throughout this text. And uh, the quote that comes to mind is, when the mind has only truth, it can project only truth. Another word for activator might be, as you're using it, projection. And it says, life is projection. Um, let's see, the precise quote is, um, by projection, we live. That's the law of mind. Mind must project. Um, and mind can project truth when it's serving the spirit, or mind can project error when it's serving the ego. Um, when my mind is in a state of truth, the Holy Spirit will uh, express through me. Um, remember, um, remember at the injunction, listen, learn, and do ready, willing, and able. Um, the real members of my party are active workers. Point of all that being is I can express when my mind is serving soul or serving truth. I can express that truth in ways that are meaningful to the receiver. The Holy Spirit uh, gives the words, the thoughts, Maybe it's just a smile. Maybe it's just a twinkle in the eye. But in every case, truth is being expressed through the mind that serves the soul. Our choice, our power of decision, the whole power of decision lies in will I allow my mind to serve the soul or truth? In which case, I will look to the Holy Spirit. I will listen, learn, and do. I'll be willing. I'll be ready to learn. I'll be willing to learn. And I'll be able to learn because my mind is serving soul. My only other choice is to let my mind serve the ego. In which case, everything I think I see will be an error. And... I will not be able to, um, I won't be alone um, in the effects of my thoughts because my ego will be my guide. That's my only choice. Serve the soul. Have access to peace, love, and joy. Light and peace and joy. Or serve the ego. In which case, all I see will be illusions that are projected from my false mind. So, I hope that helps. I can't find the word activator, but um, expression and serve I can find. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you. But when when you use the word serve, do you mean to give it give your attention to? Sometimes when I think to serve is to give service to. But it, to give attention to is different for me than to serve. Absolutely. As you can hear two voices, you can see in two ways. Okay. When I listen to the voice for truth, I'll see truth and hear truth. When I listen to the voice of error, that's going to be what my my perception is because I will have projected it onto the world. Um 
Perception is projection, and only perception is capable of error. That's why the atonement corrects the mind, the creator, um, the seer, if you will, the one who chooses who to listen to and how to see. Thanks, Lori. I'm complete. I still have to listen. <laughs> Thanks, Lori. I got so many questions in my mind. Oh, my Lord. Uh, we just read that section about the spiritual eye and the discomfort that we feel when we look at the altar and then to look past the, the, that which is defiled at the altar. I'm wondering if there's discomfort, if we're afraid to look, if we stop looking because of the discomfort. I'm sorry. I, I love I love the sharing and his words are touched me deeply and they bring a lot of questions up. Thank you. Thank you, Charles. Thank you, Charles. Thank you, Charles. Uh, will you go speak, uh, Harrison? Good morning. Are you? Are you finished? Uh, yes, I am. Thank you, Harrison. Okay. Um, this uh, lesson 19, and indeed the reading, is a powerful statement um, regarding the mind. Um, Jesus has often taught in the course about the idea of one spirit mind. Not only are minds joined, but our minds and the world are joined as well. That the world is nothing but projection of my mind's thought of separation. That's all it is. And this is another way of saying what the Course repeats uh, several times. His ideas need not their source. And that's a core principle, I believe, of the course. There's one line that's unmuted. emphasizes this idea. And the workbook repeats it. Ideas do not leave their source. Effects do not leave their cause. 
the world is not separated from the mind. We're talking about the world we believe is outside of us. We think the world is separate from our minds. That the effect, which is the world, is separate from the cause, which is the mind. But ideas leave not their source. core principle of the course. There's a quote from the text that uh, I find uh, so enlightening. It's in think chapter 20. What if you recognize this world is an hallucination? What if you really understood you made it up? What if you realized that those who seem to walk about in, in, in the world, to sin, and die, attack, and murder, and destroy themselves are wholly unreal. Should you have faith in what you see if you accepted this? And would you see it? The world is sustaining by myself, keeping cause and effect separate, and not remembering that my mind is the cause of the world. And that really places total responsibility of what I think I see in the world on me, in my mind. The good news is that if I change my mind, I can change not only how I see the world and what I see in the world, And today's lesson tells me that I'm not alone in experiencing the effect of my thoughts about the world. The way I see doesn't affect me alone. 
I remember visiting with David Hofmeister years ago, and he would respond saying that there are no private thoughts. And it took me a while to understand what he meant. And he meant that there were, that the idea of private thoughts is illusory. I can't have private hateful thoughts without affecting someone else. I'm not alone in experiencing the effects of my thoughts. The sonship is one. So the effect must apply to the whole sonship and not to just you or me alone. Finally, in paragraph two, he says, despite your initial resistance to this idea, you will yet understand that it must be true if salvation is possible at all. And salvation must be possible because it is the will of God. Salvation is possible only if there's one problem and one solution. The key to salvation is the Course's first principle. There is no order of difficulties among miracles. This tells me that every problem is like every other problem. And so the solution, the miracle, is the same for all. The problem is unreal. But we won't know its unreality until we realize that every problem is the same. Its seemingly external form is but a shadow of the inner problem. The single thought that says, I am separated and I'm on my own. If I could be separated, if I could have private thoughts, that would mean the separation is real. 
And salvation can only occur when I realize the separation is illusory, which means I can't have private thoughts. My thoughts affect the whole sonship. And that's because the whole sonship is one with me. That's why I'm not alone in experiencing the effects of my thoughts. I'm complete. Just excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Harrison. Thank you, Harrison. This is Donna. Really interesting. I heard the word service and uh, and attention. And I thought, okay, so uh, attentive listening lets service occur. And then I realized we may not even see the service or understand what occurs because we have done this divine service. And the other thing I heard was, I am alone in nothing. And it reminds me of uh, Lesson 54, Paragraph 5. I am alone in nothing. Everything I think or say or do touches all the universe. A son of God cannot think or speak or act in vain. He cannot be alone in anything. It is therefore in my power to change every mind along with mine. For mine is the power of God. Those are big shoes. I am complete. Oh, that was very nice, Donna. Thank you. Thank you. Girly mind. Hi, good morning, guys. Thank you, Lori and Lemoyne, for facilitating us and everyone for your shares. I'm just going to stick with um, the text and reading the soul responsibility of myself as a miracle worker. Um, miracle worker implying that I'm, I'm joining with my Christ-mindedness my right-mindedness, my Christ consciousness, and seeing everyone and everything as the same, one whole and complete creation of God, and that the whole and total creation of God is the one Son in its perfection. 
and to accept the atonement as the remedy as the remedy to heal perception you know the course speaks of a um, perception it's it's the fall into consciousness and becoming a perceiver and seeing the world outside of myself in order to validate or be pro- propaganda for my my perce- wanting to perceive myself as I am not that I'm I've built this perception this image which I can see I can perceive with my body's eyes perceive my body as an image of myself that's that's something to be undone and how this all arose isn't for me to question or even to understand all I need to understand as far as the course is teaching me is that I accept I accept myself as the course teaches me to accept the truth of who and what I am that I'm spirit immortal an idea a thought in the mind of God purely mind the Holy Spirit teaches me wants me to learn that I'm purely mind purely thinking like God and as God in the likeness and quality of God that that is the perfection of its creation love extending love calling to itself to be in and as and like itself that that love is in and as and like itself within everything now this the body's eyes cannot perceive the body's eyes and the body was made as a as a tool as an expression of the separation from that totality so I have if I have any problems with what my body's body eye body's eyes perceive in relationship to myself or to anything that I see perceive project mistakenly in 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 the world that I'm I, I need to straighten out my thinking by asking the Holy Spirit to judge it for me and this is how I I'm 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 relieved of the fear of what I see what my body's eyes see and how my body's eyes perceive me is a fearful state it's the dream of the fear of making myself into something that I'm not and the whole dream the whole dream of judgment and perception is filled with this mis- misperception misperception miscreation so the perception is the choice to see myself as I am not needs to be corrected and the miracle and expression an expression of charity of love which is practiced specifically over and over overlooking 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 what I judge as wrong mistaken hurtful harmful saying this is not true not believing it not seeing it as true and through the eyes of innocence the universal perception of innocence of everything that the eyes would perceive 
is wholly untrue. The difference between true and false needed to be sorted out in my mind by the Holy Spirit. Because I, I used to believe everything I thought was true, which was everything the world taught me. And the world is propaganda for itself. All the learning of the world is propaganda to validate its version of reality. That what my body's eyes see and what my body's senses perceive is the truth of reality. Now, we're taught not to, not to deny the experience of it, but not to hold it as the truth of who and what we are as God created us because they are in direct opposition with each other. The thought system that the ego and the world has taught me to believe about what is reality is in opposition to what God says is how he created me and how he created me to be. So the ego starts telling me this is hard, this is difficult, this is impossible. I should be afraid and I should be full of doubt and I should be full of uncertainty. And all that is of the ego's thought system, which defends itself. It doesn't want to be undone. And the, the whole, whole kit and caboodle of it is that it's an illusion, that's a, that it's a lie, and, that it, and when it's honest, honestly looked upon by the fruits that it gives me, I, be, I become willing to relinquish it because it brings me pain, it brings me suffering, it brings me sorrow, it brings me conflict, it, it brings me guilt and shame. And these are the gifts of the ego. And to look to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, my soul united in, in divine grace with everything I see, everything I could behold, it's a part of me in the totality of my reality would fill me full of love and joy and peace. Now, I get, that's my choice. I get to choose one or the other. And the choice for miracle-mindedness is the choice, choice to perceive the truth with my sing, singular mind, my one-mindedness, in which there is no conflict, there is no opposition, there is only peace, which loves and encompasses everything equally as one and the same. Nothing to choose between, nothing to decide for or against, no distinctions and no differences. So, ergo, here I go. (laughs) I'm learning still learning that I have that one choice and I choose for my mind salvation, my mind to be saved from a misperception, from misbeliefs, false beliefs, um, from being wrong-minded, um, to, be, to, let that, to let that go for truth for peace, for wholeness, for holiness, and joy, spirit of joy. Choose the spirit of joy, the soul of joy, the soul that I share with God and the totality of creation. 
who are finite, afraid, trembling, willing to die, finite mind. Ergo, there I go. I'll stop there. Thank you for letting me share. Giving me place. I'm complete. Thank you, Judy. That was very uplifting. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy. It was very good to hear you, hon. Good morning, it's Karen. Um, I just had, I've been thinking, okay, so I have my thought level and my thought level I can direct somewhat, you know, to think with God, to think the thoughts I think with God, to think the thoughts that are taught in the course. But below that, there's a belief level, (laughs) you know. It feels like there is a belief level that's operating at the same time. And I I keep living in the conflict. I'm living in the conflict because, you know, I can say um, maybe now on the call or during the lesson call, I can say, you know, I'm one with everything and I'm never alone. But then... I unconsciously slip back into feeling alone. And because at some level I I believe in that feeling or I haven't purified that feeling or I haven't done something to um, absolutely ultimately release that or a, a whole lot of negative feelings that seem to be constantly um, coming back and while we're on the call, I feel the Christ light so strongly when Patricia was sharing and Lori was sharing and Harrison was sharing and Judy was sharing. I mean, I feel the Christ light so strongly and I'm simultaneously feeling so sick in my body and, and it, I perceive it in my solar plexus, in my heart. And I don't, I mean, it feels like that's the negativity and I know I'm not supposed to interpret, of course. I'm not supposed to sit here and try to interpret what's going on. So I'm sitting here and I'm trying to open more to the Christ light so the Christ light can purify whatever this is that it seems contradictory to the truth that I am love. I am love. I am one with the love on this call. But I'm having a body experience. You know, it's not my physical body. It's a subtle body experience of pain or emotions that are like screaming nausea, but they really are emotions. Anyway, I'm just putting that out there. I'm trying really hard to, um, to 
examine my beliefs, these beliefs that I don't want anymore, and offer them to the Holy Spirit, these beliefs that are just unconsciously running in my uh, computer mind, the conditioned mind. Um, Okay, I'm done. Thank you so much for letting me share and for letting me be here. (laughs) Thank you. I'm complete. Thank you, hon. Um, Experience some of that. This is Ida, and I just want to say, if you want to work with our essences, I wouldn't charge you any money or anything like that, except if I buy an essence for you or whatever. Um, get my number aside. Get my number from more. Could help you. Well, that was a nice offer, Ida. Thank you. And <clears throat> thank you, Karen. That was that was a really deep and beautiful share that so perfectly describes the way. You know. Um, I think I'm thinking of that quote that says, "Quantitative shifts, quantitative shifts will lead to a markedly different quality, and that's how we move from um, forgiveness to creation. You know, it's our job to uproot. Oh, there's an exact quote that I was looking at while you were speaking, and let me just find it here." He says, the miracle is a sign that the mind has chosen to be led by Christ in his service. The abundance of Christ is the natural result of choosing to follow him. All shallow roots must be uprooted because they are not deep enough to sustain you. The illusion that shallow roots can be deepened, you know, can I take this ego thought and make it more pure, um, is an illusion. Um, all let's see the illusion that shallow roots can be deepened and thus made to hold is one of the distortions on which the reversal of the golden rule rests if you recall the reversal of the golden rule was to look out from the perception of your own holiness to the perception of the world Um, that's that's the reversal that's involved with golden rule behavior. As you perceive a stimulus, so will you decide to respond. If I'm constantly perceiving stimuli uh, as harmful to me, or fearful to me, or painful to me, um, I'm going to lose track of my own holiness. And so I need to take those perceptions and give them to the Holy Spirit and ask over and over and over, what is the truth of this? What is the truth of it? If it feels bad, it's it's not the truth. Because understanding and peace always go together. Um, and I, I can so identify with um, the, the experience the body is having is so much different than the experience I want for my mind. This is our way. This is our task to sort the true from the false with guidance. I don't have to do that by myself. In fact, when I try to do it by myself, the burden is horrible. It's just horrible to think that I'm responsible for this pain in my body and I need to figure out what to do about it. Uh, that's a burden the mind cannot tolerate. 
You can't do that. That's a shallow root. I need to find the truth of that. What is the truth of me? What is the truth of me? And if I understand the truth of me, I've accepted atonement for myself, I will look out from the perception of my own holiness to the perception of all holiness. That's um, the way my mind has changed. But I can't... um, I can't put lipstick on a pig, you know. <laughs> uh, I can't. I can't make this bodily experience be the truth that my mind accepts, because that will not be possible. Um, so anyway, I was thinking we should close. Or should is not the word I want. Um, what I want are a couple of miracle principles. Same ideas. Miracles rise from a miraculous state of mind. By being one, this state of mind goes out to anyone, even without the awareness of the miracle worker himself. The impersonal nature of miracles is because the atonement itself is one, uniting all creations with their creator. When I've accepted that truth, the miracle becomes an expression of an inner awareness of Christ and acceptance of his atonement. The mind is then in a state of grace and naturally becomes gracious both to the host within. That's my mind. I become gracious to myself. I stop shooting myself. S-H-O-U-L-D. Gracious to the host within and the stranger without. And by bringing in the stranger, he becomes your brother. And oneness becomes my experience of this life. That beauty, that goodness, that wholeness, that love um, is able to direct my mind to the truth of everything. And the truth is so overwhelming and so uh, all-encompassing that bodily concerns actually become pretty trivial and it turns out the mind can only focus can only hold awareness two orders one is truth the other is illusion and when truth is present illusion is absent or or created that way um so you describe perfectly the way the way being of bringing my illusions to the truth. I don't know. And asking for the truth. And it becomes what replaces all my mind's errors. As I do that more and more often, I will experience a qualitative shift in my life. And it won't feel like I'm riding waves and troughs. But rather, peace will become my experience internally. And it will be reflected outward. So, really grateful for your share. It describes perfectly what my what my task is to be ready, willing, and able. Thank you, everyone, for this beautiful call today and yesterday, and um, and for reflecting truth that brings the Holy Spirit into our collective awareness. I'm so 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 grateful. Thank you, everyone.